Hey, what's going on? This is Jeremy Thome, Marketing Director of 3PL Systems and host of 3PL Live. Excited to share an interview with Gil Navo. He is a artist over in Los Angeles. He also owns a company called Superbrand, which is a branding agency working with kind of emerging markets such as blockchain and crypto to give that brand voice, kind of make a, the brand a little bit more human. But Gil worked on 100 episodes as an editor for, or an animator for South Park and gets into his story how he actually got that opportunity at the time when he was actually uh, promoting rave. So it's a pretty interesting story how he went from there to all the things that he's done. We also get into psychology, flow, copywriting, what makes a good brand. So we hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks a lot. Hey, Gil, thanks for coming on to 3PL Live. I'm excited to speak with you. I know that you've created over like 100 episodes of South Park that you animated. You've worked with brands such as Coca-Cola and Ben & Jerry's and Weidenbotter about their branding and messaging. So really excited to talk to you about some of this stuff because I think branding is an essential part of what makes a good business. And I would just love to uh, learn a little bit about like, what do you think makes good branding? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'll say that obviously listen to your podcast. You do a great job with the conversations and everything. So thank you for this, this conversation with you. Yeah. As far as what makes good branding really, and this is kind of maybe a little trite, good branding is good storytelling Mm -hmm. in the way that it puts whoever you're trying to communicate with as a sort of hero Mm -hmm. and understand that that hero has a journey to go through. It's your job as a person who's doing any kind of creative storytelling, whether it's on brands or in media or entertainment, is to think, how is that person who I'm trying to communicate with, how are they gonna receive that communication? How are they gonna react? To that communication and then sort of presuppose that, try to create an experience that leads them to teaching them what they need to learn or knowing what they need to know. In branding, it's often, it's often a move toward increasing loyalty for companies or making people buy stuff. That's marketing, but any communication is trying to sell you on something. I love that. It is all about storytelling. And I feel like a lot of times it gets like lost in the weeds somehow, where I think that people come into businesses and all of a sudden they start having like this MBA talk, like circling back and all this sort of stuff. And I'm just wondering like why that happens, you think in like corporate world, I think that people sort of tend to like become the same almost like where they're trying to fit in to this like corporate speak. And then it almost gets lost like in the weeds, I feel like. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just hit on a really complex topic. I think there's probably a lot of answers to that and a lot of factors to that. I think maybe a part of that is the sort of specialization that happens in corporations. I find, you know, that I work with both corporations or let's say organizations, not always corporations, but let's say I work with organizations and I also work with entrepreneurs entrepreneurs are generally thinking big picture. They have to keep all the details in mind. Whereas in an organization, especially a big organization, everybody's really focused on this one thing and tackling this one aspect of things. And so they're not always taking into consideration the entire story. With the branding work that I do, it's really about being that voice with a company or an organization or a person that helps them see the entire picture to make sure that those small individual moves are always moving the entire plot forward, right? And aren't just there randomly. So when you're interviewing like a new organization or client, do you 
kind of just listen to what they're saying or like, how do you uncover some of these stories that I guess they might not see because they're in front of them? Maybe it's just like, they're so in, in it that they don't really see it as well as like someone like yourself would. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about the way your mind works, right. As you're trying to get through your day, looking at the next task, looking at the next task, looking at the next, next task. And you're not necessarily going like, is this task going to move me to where, to my bigger picture, which is, I don't know, retire in 20 years or get to Hawaii next month or right. Like whatever your bigger picture is, you're, you're, you're kind of stuck in, we're all stuck in our weeds all the time. Mm -hmm. Even I'm stuck in my own weeds. Right. But when you're, when you're paid to come in and not be in the weeds, then you just pick apart. You just, you just like, you listen to people speak, you hear sort of the different goals that they're trying to achieve with, let's say this little piece and that little piece and that little piece, and you build an impression of what that bigger story might be. And then you ask them, I'm hearing that this might be sort of a bigger motive here. Can you talk about that? And then they might see something like, oh, yes, that is actually what I'm trying to do. Great, great. That goes into your mission statement or your mm -hmm. vision statement. And we've locked that in. And, and as you start pulling apart these pieces, suddenly you're you've pulled apart this high level story of what an organization or a person that person is actually trying to achieve. And once you have that bigger story, then you can reassess all of those little activities and go, Hey, is this meeting the bigger objective? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that a lot of people don't really, really have a reason for a lot of the stuff that we do on day to day. And it does really help to sometimes like zoom out and be like, Hey, why am I doing what I'm doing? And is this going to help me like retire? Is this going to help me with my job growth or whatever it might be? And I think that's really good to kind of reflect on some of those things. I'm curious too, when you find someone that's, let's just say it's like crypto or NFTs or machine learning, artificial intelligence, all these things are blockchain. They could be very complicated things. And I think that sometimes it's like technologists, they want to like kind of show off about like these words. I don't know if they want to show off. I don't know if that's the right word, but sometimes people want to use these sort of buzzwords or buzz things and ideas. And sometimes it helps to kind of refine it back just to like, what does this thing actually do? You know, like sometimes it's hard to communicate these things because it's, they don't know necessarily where to start as well. So like, is it, is it better to dumb things down as well to like, to make it easier to understand? So it's not, cause I feel like people have a very short attention span too. It's something like 10 seconds when they look at a website or something like that. If you're talking about a website, just let's say metaverse communication in general, a lot of it, so much of it falls into the buzzwords, right? That's because a lot of people in that space don't hire people like me. Those who do, they get a very different, they get a very different result. So if you leave it up to like the technologists to talk, then they'll always talk about the buzzwords and the features and all that stuff. But if you bring in somebody like me, I start to figure out, well, what's the human story here, right? Mm -hmm. What's the emotional story? And it's not that the features aren't important. They are important because what you do ultimately is what you're what you're selling but there's always a context for everything right like any kind of tool like technology is being used for a purpose it's that whole i think you mentioned it on the call that we talked about it's that very simple trite analogy that totally works you're not buying a drill you're buying the hole in the mm -hmm. wall right what do you want to accomplish with that drill there may be better tools and so the idea is i think when you're communicating with human beings is that bigger context. And another way to say that is that bigger story. 
it's interesting too, because I feel like I could speak from my own experience. Some sales leaders that I speak to, or even like CEOs, they they get so caught up in like the technical part of everything that they're not really connecting like on an emotional level because they don't want to like put themselves out there. Let's just say like they don't want to look dumb if they don't know the answer to something. Instead of saying yeah. like, hey, I don't know the answer to that, being a little bit vulnerable and then redirecting the conversation to something they actually do know. But I feel I see that a lot because I think that people are scared of like the judgment and scared of like looking dumb or whatever it might be. So do you see that a lot in, in the in the world these days? I think I see that all the time, but I think I've developed a good skill of kind of cutting through that and just having no, not letting people just talk for the sake of talking. I got stuck. And this is a funny story that just happened. Like I got stuck in a conversation. It was like a, I was doing like a sales conference where I was learning about some new sales kind of messages, uh, messages and ideas. I was in, I don't know, Florida. I got stuck in this conversation with, you know, two people. One of them is very quiet. And the other one is like pitching us on his service, right? And we're just at a launch and it's a sales meeting. And he's still, he's taking all the material that he's been learning. And he's like trying to work us about what he's doing. Like he just learned something in the, in the seminar that we were all in. <laughs> and now he's like, we're his first, the people who he's trying it on for about five or 10 minutes this is going on. And I'm just like, okay, this is totally inappropriate. What do I do here? I don't even know this guy. Let's take a step back. We've never actually met. Tell me something about yourself. Where are you from? What do you do? We haven't even had a conversation. Changed the complete conversation around, just took it back to the, the real like human communication. And I think people are afraid to do that. The guy who I was with He'd already been having this conversation with this guy for like 15 minutes. I could tell in his face that he was just like over it and wanting to get out. Sure. But we were all stuck in that situation. <laughs> and later on, he's like, oh, thank you for doing that. I thought that was going to go on forever. So people get stuck in what, they're, what they want to do. I think it's important to never be afraid to just like cut the pattern, cut to the chase with somebody and just be like, hey, hold up one sec. I love that. Know? What'd you do for lunch? You know, like just switch it up. No, I like that a lot because I think a lot of the times I've been caught in that situation before where, you know, I'll be talking to some, someone random and they'll be pitching on something and I, I want to be considerate or whatever. And I don't want to be like rude. So I'll like hear it out. But I think sometimes it's better just a little blunt and just be like, Hey, I'm, I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings or anything like that. It's better to like move on with the conversation. Cause I'm not going to, I'm not buying whatever it is that you're trying to sell me in that particular situation. So let's just move on to more of like a human connection. A nice way to do that. Almost like out of curiosity, like, hold up a sec. Do you know anything about this? Completely <laughs> just change it, you know what I mean? <laughs> and go somewhere completely different, unrelated, totally off topic. You can even, even say like, oh, off topic, you know? Cause you can change the topic at any time. It's I, fair. I think it's like a pattern interrupt almost like where it's like, you're not really expecting it. And then they're like kind of confused, kind of gets you out of that. But it's interesting too, because I feel like LinkedIn has become this, it's become a very vibrant place where people share information and like content creators. And I, I've learned a lot from there, but there's also a lot of like sales folks on there that'll just directly pitch you before they even like find out anything about you. And it's like, Hey, do you have time tomorrow, next day, next day after that? And it's, it's interesting because I'm just wondering why why people do that. It doesn't work. I mean, I guess it's just maybe training or something. And I, I know you're not in sales, but like we're why I technically I think everyone kind of has to sell to a degree in in life, their ideas and you know, whatever it is that they're doing. 
But what's your thoughts on that? Why do you think that people like salespeople do that if it doesn't work? Because it kind of reminds me of that guy. Yeah, people absorb all kinds of messages and have all kinds of personalities. And I think some messages, messages out there, being the one who leads the conversation, like, and I'm sure you've seen this a lot. Hey, you know, I'd love to set up a call. How's Wednesday at 11, right? Like that's a trick, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. And you see that all the time. Like you get like trick. so many emails in the entrepreneur world, right? Where people are like, go to my Calendly link. It's just automatic, you know? And they, they're, I think people, people do what they think they're supposed to. That's to interesting. That's a very result. interesting thought. Yeah. They, I mean, like, kind of like you said earlier, it's like, I was guilty of this. I went into this, like, I was working at this startup that was selling like mobile messaging. And yeah. I remember like, I was trying so hard. I heard everyone else pitch and they sounded so good. They were giving all like all these like use cases. They just sounded really great. And I just wanted to be a part of that. And I remember yeah. I got pulled into like the VP's room and he's like, pitched this thing or cold call me. I completely fell on my face. And it was because I wasn't being genuine to myself. I wasn't allowing my unique personality to shine. I was trying to be more like them. Me being more green at that time, it was like a real lesson that I talk about it a lot because I, I really feel bad for people that have anxiety that get stuck in these situations where they're they're trying to conform and they're trying to like fit in and, and it's just not worth it. It's It's much better, I think, to like be different and like do your own thing. And even like tattoos on LinkedIn has been coming up recently and this whole thing, you can't be professional and have tattoos or whatever. And I don't know, I just think there's a lot of, there, there's this whole conversation going on right now with like LinkedIn where like some guy didn't get paid because like he had like tattoos or something. And there's all these things like going viral right now, like on LinkedIn with like tattoos, but it's, it's just interesting because I just feel like people do try so hard to like conform when it's really not, I don't know, it just makes more sense to be an artist and be different and do your own thing. How do you get over that? that hump of, you know, how do you become yourself? Like, what does that mean? Because in a way you are being yourself. So you're just maybe not good at pitching or I don't know, what's your- Like, how did I interpret that oh. learning that sometimes like if I'm in situations where I feel uncomfortable, like gonna happen, but like I'll analyze the situation and how I handled myself. And I'd be like, you know, like, I don't really like that person that I was there. And I don't really feel like I was honoring myself. Whereas yeah. now I, I do feel like I honor myself. Like now, like if I post anything on LinkedIn, I'll, I'll be very vulnerable about when I fuck up and like when I mess up on something and if I like had an anxiety attack or whatever it might be, sometimes to the point of probably saying too much. And like, I, I probably need to like back it up a little at times because like there was times last year where I kind of shared a little bit going on with the relationship that I was in. And I, I think that that probably was a little, probably too much. You know, I think that there's some things that should say to yourself to me, I think that if you're helping someone in their own life kind of overcome some sort of obstacle, like it's mental that they're having within their lives, I think that that to me is powerful because then you're helping other people with like issues that they might be having themselves. Yeah, I see. I see two things there. One, I, I think it's good to push. It's good to like test the boundaries of what's comfortable, right? In, in order to know what is it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's an important way i think a practice of like figuring out who you are by testing the boundaries of who you're not and seeing what doesn't work mm -hmm. and so that's an important skill so in a lot of ways in the process of trying to get to yourself you actually have to try on things that don't work which mm -hmm. means that you also have to lose you have to also fail or in the communication right you have mm -hmm. to try things that don't work and accept a sort of feedback and an understanding that, hey, maybe this didn't, this didn't quite work.
to know yourself, you have to like know who you're not. I think that would be probably a good, a good thing, right? Just get, get out that shyness and just, okay, you know, you tried something, you fell on your face, you learned something. Don't let that be a judgment on who you are. You just tried something, right? Sure. There's another thing that recently happened to me in that very same vein is I was changing the way that I was selling a part of my agency's service mm-hmm. and I created a deck. And in that deck, you know, I presented this kind of overarching problem that's happening in the world. And I kind of went through this sort of deductive process as to why the work that we do is so important in the context of the world. I was basically creating a story around what we do and taking people on a little journey with this new pitch deck on, you know, why what we do is so beneficial for, you know, clients. Put up this deck with a new potential client and I started to read it and it came off very like performative and I got very self-conscious, almost mm-hmm. like I was like this storyteller now that mm-hmm. was like telling this dramatic story about the state of the world and why branding is so important and why my company is, you know, and it felt wrong. This feels a little weird. Like I, I did it, you know, sure enough, that person didn't buy because I think it probably felt awkward for her as well. But then I asked around, I said, listen, I've been having this issue. I have this great pitch and I think the story is really good it doesn't come off right when I actually try to present it. What should I do? And that person said, you know, instead of using the word performative, why don't you just tell people before you start that you're really passionate. And if you get really passionate about the topic that, you know, you're really excited about it. Sure enough, the next time I did it, I led with that. And before going into the full pitch, I said, listen, I love this topic because of one, two, three. So if I get a little passionate just excuse me you know what I mean and and then I went into the pitch that's awesome and it changed the whole perception of what I was saying because I turned something that felt a little wrong into something that actually excited the person. No, I know I know what you mean that's a that's a great story because I feel like a lot of the times it's like reframing things in our own head because you knew that the pitch was dope and I, I know what you mean like I feel like I've written the vibe was good like in your mind it, it made sense but for whatever reason when it happened maybe you're like got too introverted into like what you were thinking, started analyzing it. And I'm, I'm capable of doing that myself. And like, I remember I took like actually drum lessons, that, not from Scott, a different guy a long time ago. And when I took those drum lessons, I used to tell him I had like anxiety and he used to always say, well, maybe you should relabel that as excitement instead of anxiety. When he said that to me, it made like a lot of sense. I think sometimes like when we tell ourselves these things in our, in our mind and me being a snowboarder too, I used to do like pretty big jumps and whatnot. And if I, if I told myself that I was like going to fall and eat shit, I guarantee you I was going to fall and eat shit. It's like my mind is going to do whatever it is that I feed it and tell it, which is, I'd love to little, love, learn about your surfing as well. Like, uh, how did you get into surfing and does that help you with some of this branding and creativity? Yeah. I mean, you know, you used to surf too, right? No, like, I still do surf. Yeah. I mean, do. yeah. I mean, it's been a while. You ever go to, there's a great, very famous surf, like indoor, like a surf, a wave pool. Mm. And I think it's like in Waco. I've heard about this. I've heard about this. I have not yet gone to that wave yet. I mean, I think it's fascinating because it's in Waco of all the random places in the world. Yeah. But look, have you been? 
No, but it's, I know people who like go on trips there, right? Just to surf this pool. I mean, they could go on a trip to Costa Rica, but like they do a trip to this Waco pool because you get to surf the same wave over and over and just practice. There's more <laughs> options like that coming up all the time, which is Badass. pretty cool. Yeah, man, surfing, you know, I've been surfing for quite a bit now, maybe 25 years or something like that. Started my 20s life. Surfing is a connection to this very, very fickle wave energy that happens from time to time. It's super elusive, you know, great waves. Mm -hmm don't come every day, especially living in Southern California, anywhere, like waves are fickle. There's these magical, Moments. you know, every time you go out, there's like an opportunity for like a magical day and a magical ride that you'll just remember forever. And you're out there in the ocean, whether it's like early morning, the sun's coming up, let's say for us, comes up behind me. Or if you're sitting there uh, during sunset hours, during dusk and, and the sun's going down over the ocean, right? just magical moments interacting with nature. I love you know? that. Yeah. I, th I think there's something that I love the, uh, the forest as well. And I think that there's something that's just very connective about being in nature. Cause I think a lot of the times, like in the business world or just like in day-to-day -day life, it's like, go, 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 you got your bills and got all this stuff going on. And sometimes when you take that moment to like, just chill and like reconnect with like nature or go surfing and having those moments and those experiences, like you kind of end up solving problems I feel like more in your head because you're not in that state of constant stress it's almost like you need to be calm in order to like really think deeply and calmly and because I think a lot of the connections happen at least for me when I'm not like really thinking about the problems they're kind of being solved like subconsciously absolutely well you're making space for the things that need to come up I mean your brain is like a problem solving machine and we're not always in, as in control I mean even if you do meditation you're not really in control of your brain all that much. I mean, you are, you can guide it. The stream of consciousness is like, is like a river, right? And you can put a rock in the middle of the river and divert the river, but you're not stopping the river. It's going to go. A dam will overflow eventually if you don't release water out. As an artist, I feel like I try to be in that flow as much as possible and accept that it's a flow that's moving without me, that I get to ride it, right? And I think that surfing is an expression of that, but I also think art is an expression of that. I even think, you know, creative sessions I do with companies that I work with are also an expression of that, right? Is like leading a creative session with a company is about letting what naturally needs to come up come up. It's creating space for, you know, the intuition that we all have, curating that information and finding, you know, the context for it. So not to get overly cerebral, but, you know, everything's kind of an expression of this constant change, constant, constant moving. And so, I'm, you know, I'm big on creativity and, and that idea of letting creativity happen. I love that. I think it's cool. I think it's really cool the way you think about it. Cause I think that even like when I'm writing content, for example, for like LinkedIn, it's hard. I was talking about this with Scott, my piano teacher. It's kind of hard for me sometimes because like you have like these like points that you want to talk about or like this, like this vibe or this thing that you want to talk about. But then sometimes I'll be like writing it and I'll be looking at my grammar or something like that. And that, that's really not the same thing as the creative part. 
So I've kind of had to like learn how to be like, all right, turn off that grammar part and just get like the, you know, like the creativity going and then fix like the, like the technicals like later. And I, I think that sometimes that happens a lot with like creativity. Like sometimes like we'll hold ourselves back from, you know, we'll start something like, I don't know, it could be like a painting or a song, whatever you start doing. You're like, oh, I hate this right away instead of just sort of exploring it a little bit deeper and more. So that is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think learning to apply it in situation, learn to apply to applying stream of consciousness. I mean, you know, there's that whole field of flow right now that I forget the guy's name, something with a K. There's the Mikhail Nexnikov, or uh, there's there's a couple of people, Stephen Kotner, I believe, who wrote the book about flow. And there was a lot of people talking about flow. And I think flow is really about letting go. I mean, I write all the time and I write, you know, I've written, oh, I write pitches. I write copy for branding. It's amazing how much writing I've actually done because I've always been, I started my career as a visual person over the last like five or six years. I've just become a writer. I mean, I write so many things. I've written series and pitches for shows and commercials, copy for brands and websites, writing right and link million posts. You know, I have my my uh, newsletter that comes out every week. And what I found is to just go, like mm -hmm. tell a story, just feel it out, you know, and ride the wave. You kind of have an idea. You don't even always need to know where you're going, right? You just let the mind go. You don't worry about the grammar. You don't go back and check sentences. You just feel it, right? It's almost like music, like mm -hmm. write and, you know, find a rhythm to the writing and let the rhythm dictate what it is that you want to say. Like, what's the natural rhythm? Do we need to go up here? Do we need an inflection here in order to move the audience to the next point? And mm -hmm. so I find that if I get into that, that speeds up the writing and I'll write it like a newsletter post in, you know, 10 minutes, just one thought and then let our copywriter like go and actually fix the, the little details, the grammar and stuff. Was being a visual artist, did that help it? Is, and that's really interesting that you were a visual artist first and then you started writing a lot second. So I think that's really cool. Was there a lot of things that kind of tied in with like the visual arts with like the, did it help with like the, the writing side of things as well? I mean, they're different, but they kind of are similar, I guess. I don't know. I think if anything, music helps with the writing, right? Acting tone of voice, playing a character in your head and finding that character. People who don't know, I don't know what people think about me, but I know that when I write, the character that I play is a little bit different maybe than the character, than the person that I am. I become, when I write, I become more dramatic. It's a much more like dramatic, oratory kind of character that can write all this stuff. And I don't feel like I'm like that in real life. I don't, I'm not the best like real life storyteller, I don't think. I wish I were. I have a ton <laughs> of stories to tell that sometimes I don't feel I tell as well as I need to. Like I, I had so many moments where I'm like, man, this was a great story and I just totally flubbed it. That did not come up. I did not get the reaction that I wanted and it was a great story. But when I write, I have this character that can kind of do that. So I don't know. I don't know if the, it's a practice, right? It is interesting. It's almost like distancing ourselves from our writing somehow. And I, I think that that makes sense to me. Cause like, I think that sometimes like you want, if you are telling a story and it is a character, that character is going to have like certain characteristics about him. 
And I think that that makes sense. And sometimes like when I'm also like writing like on like LinkedIn, a lot of the times I think I'm trying to like not, I, I always honor what I'm going to say. Like I always have, I'm always like talking about the same sort of things like psychology or like mm-hmm. copywriting or something like that. But I think that I, it, it makes sense to like have like a framework in your mind though, that you're like, Hey, that, for example, like I like that guy, uh, Kelly from block party because he's like very, like, he's a singer of this like UK band and there's something about his bravado and his like confidence. And I think that like, sometimes like if you want to project something like that, maybe it is like interesting to think about it in that sort of way. And do you listen to like music as well? Like um, when you, when you write, I'm, cause I feel like music also helps me like get out of my head a little bit and like kind of more into like a trance state of mine. Yeah. I mean, I don't specifically listen to music when I write, but I do listen to music a good 75% or 80% of the time in general. I have music at my, in, in my place when I'm, when I'm doing anything other than having meetings, sometimes I'll turn it off, but I do play music a lot. Just having that music in the background. Music is, if you think about the way good music flows, I think good writing can capture that, that feel, right? And a good mm-hmm. story because it, everything captures movement. We ride waves, music happens in frequencies. Everything is this expression of these constant waves that are moving. And, you know, we have brain waves, everything's a wave. Even storytelling, if you think about the rhythm of a story, it, you know, takes you up emotionally and then it takes you down and then it takes you up and you want it to leave on a certain high note and then you know you you look at the three act structure or the way people write movies it's like you know you have the climax but then you have like the leveling off like there's all these emotional twists and turns that happen all the time and you sort of expect them and i think writing and any kind of creative endeavor can have that built in take people on a on a journey right no that's awesome i i love it i think that everything is sort of like this vibration like of like if you're vibrating like good thoughts or bad thoughts you're gonna have different things coming at you i think in your in your day and i i think that 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 is very like interesting this whole concept of um flow you know like i I, as a snowboarder i I would try to get into that state a lot of times because i think being having anxiety if like you're thinking about like getting injured for example on like a big feature, like you could really get hurt. But I think that like those times that when I was really snowboarding well, I wasn't really thinking about like getting hurt. I was just having fun with my friends and like listening to music and then flowing almost like that river, like you were talking about, there wasn't really much thought, the consequences of things, you're kind of just, you're just kind of going for it and like being in that that moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I love taking things. I think we we had, when we had our conversation last week, you know, we talked about, I kind of always, take things to that universal kind of core level of, because to me, creativity is not necessarily about adding things. It's about like tapping into creativity is about removing, right? It's removing the barriers. It's removing the judgments that your parents put on you when you were five and told you you weren't ever going to do this or this was not a good idea, right? Or society said, oh, that's not a real track for you to go down creativity. You got to do this or you got to do that. Or your friends who made fun of you for doing something different, right? Like we all grew up in these environments where we were ping pong balls or pinballs, pinballing and bouncing around people's judgments and Mm -hmm. creating our personalities based on these people's like judgments and the rules and all this stuff. 
And I think for me, if my, my greatest mission in life is like, how many of those things can I remove? Right. Mm -hmm. So that I'm as free to flow in my mind as possible. It's not always like a physical flow. It, yeah, surfing and music and things like that. But like, it's more like internally to how do I feel? Do I feel like I'm in my flow? Do I feel I'm in the right place today because I'm allowing myself to be me today in the moment? I think we get, we, I think a lot of people get caught up on that and it really taints the experience of life. I agree. I've been totally guilty of all those things of like, you know, just listening to other people on like not listening to myself, but like, hey, what are what does society want for me? Or like what, you know, all these different things and not like really analyzing those things and being like, you know what, fuck that. I don't really, I don't really like that. That doesn't serve me. So I th I think that that part of it is like the ultimate flex and like the ultimate confidence when you start analyzing like these social like objectives and norms about like how things should be. One thing I thought was really interesting is these people that go around in these vans and that van life culture where they're like, you know, they build out a sprinter and they make it like with the bed and like the couch and whatever. I won't necessarily want to live in it, but I, I think that that's pretty dope that people are going out there and actually doing this and going and exploring things. And it's just, it's very interesting to me because like in my twenties, I actually spent about eight months going around the world. I went to like South Africa, like Jeffrey's Bay, Australia, like New Zealand. So I went to all these places and I, I had a great time. But at that time, a lot of people were like, go work and get a job right away after college and do this, and that. And it, it's interesting because like, I feel like if you don't kind of question those things, like you're stuck with like kind of living like kind of a boring, mediocre life. That's awesome that you did that. And I think I, I've gone through the same things. And I think that not just living a mediocre life, but kind of falling into that trap where like, oh, life is so hard. Life is, you know, like you get all these people, you're like, hey, how are you doing? And they're like, yeah, just pulling through. Inflation. Like, really? <laughs> that's all? You know, like, that's your state, you know, just making it through. Like, Ooh, I don't know, man. Lunch the weekend. <laughs> I don't yeah, exactly. I, I think we could do better. You know, I think we could do better. I know I don't speak for everybody and there's people tied up in physical situations that are genuinely harder than the situations that we live in. So 100%. obviously I'm not taking that for granted, but at the same time, it took a lot of work to get the feeling that I currently feel like and I can be in most of the time, which is a feeling of flow and creativity and internal personal freedom. 100%. It's, it's interesting too, because I, I feel like the, there are people that I've seen, even like, like skateboarders that have like no legs that like rip that are going down like rails. And you see these guys are like on a wheelchair doing like backflips and things of that nature. So it really is like the spirit of the human and like how much they want to push themselves. Because I know that like going back to what you're saying, I don't think I could have ever been those guys that are like paraplegics, but they're basically just doing crazy stuff. I, I think that that part is fascinating. But one thing that's very unique about you is that you've like started companies and like, I, you know, I think that that's really cool. Like entrepreneurship. Cause I tried like doing like a bike tour company in Santa Monica, Venice. I bought like these Linus bikes, a trailer, did it for a summer. It didn't work. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. I tried it, but I think that it's dope that like entrepreneurs like yourself, how long did it, did it take you to like, think about the idea of super brand and like how, like how quickly did you go like after that part of it? Cause I think that's look, I, I I'm probably not the best entrepreneur because I am a creative at heart, not 
as good a systems builder as I think, you know, some entrepreneurs are. I'm, I'm lucky in that I kind of have a good amount of self-confidence and high risk tolerance. Because I have high risk tolerance, I've started companies and companies have failed and I've started again and, you know, and, and so I've done all those things. I think Superbrand, and they've all done, I think the, you know, Superbrand is really just like a very, very simplified part of what I do, which is I took a very specific skill set that I have, which is helping people tell that kind of overarching story of their business, applying, you know, the creative rules and creative strategies that I've been a part of for my entire career, applying that to businesses and created a little process around it that really works. Um, it ta I take people through these conversations that ultimately help them reach that point of understanding what their bigger purpose is, what they truly wanna be, what their tone of voice is, what their style is, even if they're not creative, helps them turn that into a brand for their company that ultimately attracts the people that they wanna attract. Yeah, so to me, it's really just this like nice sliver of my experience that I think is really beneficial for companies and entrepreneurs and people. And I get to do with them. I get to do the part that I'm really good at, hopefully not get stuck in the things that don't work. That's kind of what Superbrand is about. It's about helping people tell that story in an efficient way, then moving forward and taking that story and applying it to everything that they're doing. I could see this so, being really beneficial for like blockchain companies and tech companies because it seems like some of those stories or some of you get lost sometimes. I think like we were talking about earlier in the jargon, they kind of miss out on the story part, which is like the cool part. So I, I could definitely see how this could be very useful given your your background. Also, I wanted to ask you too about like the South Park thing. How, how did you do that? How'd you get into that? The drawing part of it and the animations, that, that seems like a pretty interesting part of your life. Yeah, high risk tolerance and not worrying about how good I am at anything, I think was like an important part of that. I was in my 20s. I was actually a, I was promoting parties around LA, kind of rave type parties. That was like how I was making a living. I think I was like 24, 25, whatever. I dropped out of college. I was going to classes here and there, but, you know, I didn't really have a track. I started, a, you know, a friend of a friend I'd heard opened up a 3D animation school here in LA. Now it's one of the biggest animation schools in the country, if I'm not mistaken. But at the time, it was literally like a first cohort that was going to go through this program. I approached the guy and I said, hey, can I study here? Yeah, and it cost this much. I couldn't even afford, honestly, I couldn't even afford the fee. But he's like, hey, I need artists. I, I know you're a good artist. You could draw. So just take any class that you want. As long as there's like an empty chair available, just show up and you can take the class. Awesome. And I was like, okay. And apparently he made that offer to a few people, but I was the only one who actually came in paying no tuition, sat in on these classes, made, started making some stuff in 3d. And sure enough, at one point I got down to kind of like my last, my last amount of money. I mean, promoting is okay, but unless you're doing it a big level, you don't make that much money. I went up to him and I said, listen, I know I've only taken a couple classes, but is there anything that I can do with my limited skill set? And he's like, well, little show called South Park and you know, <laughs> the animation's pretty simple. I know the person in charge there, you know, I can get you an interview. So I worked for a few weeks putting together some a portfolio and 
uh, got the interview and then just sure enough managed to like BS my way through the interview. And they called me like an hour after the interview and said, you're hired to work on the movie. And so I literally went from just kind of promoting, you know, small underground parties in LA to working on a Paramount feature. I didn't even know what a deal (laughs) memo was, you know, I didn't know anything. And I was all of a sudden on this movie and within the course of the movie, I became, you know, one of the better people. And by the end of the movie, they asked me to come and work on the TV show. So we finished the movie. I took a little break and then went and worked on the TV show for about eight seasons as an animator and became one of the leads there. Wow. Talk about a badass story wrapping this thing in all up because like it, you went from like the, the promoter of the raves working on a movie free tuition. That's pretty, that's pretty uh, incredible that that all worked out for you. And I think it's also that risk taking and just like some people would be like scared and be like, you know what, I'm not going to do that or not even get those opportunities. It was so many different things that had to like work and for you to, for all that to like manifest itself, which is pretty, pretty wild. And I'm always a fan of that South Park devil. I love that devil for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You mean Satan. Satan. <laughs> I know. I know. We did a lot of work with him on the movie. The movie was a lot about, was all about Satan. I mean, I think that's, if there's a lesson in there, it's like you have to, I wasn't ready to go to an interview on anything. I didn't have anything. But I sat for a couple of weeks, I crammed for the portfolio and I just took, took a shot. You just never know who, what opportunity will open up for you at any time, but you got to take a shot. A lot of the people who, who worked on that movie were better and they were graduates of UC film, UC, uh, UCLA film school. Like, that, like for some reason that was like a direct funnel. So all these people had full on, you know, credits and reels and stuff like that. And all I had was a was a portfolio, but it showed potential. And I came in with the right attitude and I was ready to learn. And I think at some point in the interview, I said, hey, and I don't know where I got this, but I was like, hey, whatever you need me to do, I can do it. And if I don't know it, I'll learn it. I don't know, maybe that that helped my case. I think it's that that river almost like you just sort of went for it. You didn't think about it too much. You like put yourself out there and just it, it happened, which is pretty badass. I mean, I don't really, I've never met anyone that's done anything like that myself. So, I mean, I think it's a pretty, pretty fascinating story, but anyways, Gil, that, that was a fascinating conversation. Thank you um, for coming on 3PL Live. If people want to reach out to use you for a super brand or to go surf, how, how do they reach out? Well, obviously my email, gil at superbrand.la, you can reach me through there. You can go to our website, superbrand.la. I'm on LinkedIn, Gil Naveau, pretty easy to find. And uh, thank you for this conversation. I knew we were going to have a good conversation. I really appreciate the questions you ask. You do a really good job with these. And I knew that from listening to the other episodes. So yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Gil. I think we got into all sorts of interesting things like with the creativity, how to like just allow yourself to kind of be in that moment when you're writing and just kind of getting things done and get trying to get into that that flow, you know? Flow is one of those things that's really hard to get into, but once you get into it, you can kind of accomplish a lot more things than you would have think because we tend to overthink things. And a lot of the times I think that things are a lot more simpler when we just kind of get going. But I enjoyed that conversation so much with Gil that we are starting our own podcast together. 3PL Live, of course, is still going to be covering all the freight topics, supply chain, and then, of course, I'll still do copy and anything to do with that over there. But this other podcast that we're starting is more about, like, psychology, 
living your best life and then also like those decisions that you have like am i really do i am i doing this for myself or am i doing this because society is telling me to do it this way so we get a lot of into this sort of like spiritual way of doing things and kind of living your best life whatever that means to you anyways if you enjoyed this episode please rate us on spotify or apple we appreciate that and then always, if you're a TMS customer, go hit up 3plsystems.com. We appreciate you. Thanks so much.